Welcome to the teaching ministry at Crothers Creek Community Church. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Welcome to church. I'm glad to be able to share out of the book of James as we continue our study in the second chapter. If you have your Bible, you may want to turn to that, the first uh, 12 or 13 verses of James chapter 2. I was uh, doing some uh, lawn and gardening, sort of putting away of all the tools for the season, and it sort of brought my mind back to the summer we've been having here in Ontario. If you're, uh, if you're uh, listening or watching online from another place, you don't know this, but all of the good stuff that used to kill all my weeds has been banned. And uh, so I went out into my lawn and I was sort of grieving, you know, when you have that golf green lawn that you look at and it's lush and green and beautiful, and then you go out this year and you kind of go, oh man, what a mess. Uh, weeds, 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 everywhere weeds. And weeds are a bad thing for the younger audience who are listening online or here with a little sense of humor. Uh, I'm not talking about pharmacological weed, I'm talking about the kind of weed that's really bad. Uh, it's, it's bad for the lawn, it's bad for the greenery, it's bad for your uh, resale value, it's just bad. Weeds are bad. And uh, every once in a while we got to get out there with a, a big shovel or a, a, I, I was listening to somebody talk about the, the weed hog. I, I, I don't know what that looks like, but I think I might have to get one. And, um, and every once in a while we got to get out there and we got to pull weeds. And we got to grab these things by the throat and we got to pull them out as fast as we can. Otherwise, they're going to spread into the fabric of that lush lawn and mess everything up. And uh, as we uh, speak today and we think today about uh, this gardening expression of weed, I want you to uh, think about the, the weed that might be, uh, you know, caught in the thicket of the lawn of our church. Let's say in the backyard of our relational, uh, you know, 4040, our, our green space here at Carthers Creek. Uh, what might be a weed, what might be an unwelcome, big, hairy, ugly, prickly, you know, unfriendly, unkind, uh, you know, real estate devaluing weed uh, that has found itself into the fabric of our church or other churches just like ours that's actually threatening to mess up everything that's beautiful and plush and wonderful about a, a loving community church. What might that weed be? Now, some people look around and they say, well, you know what, there's different weeds in different churches. Some churches have a weed, we might call it, uh, you know, um, racism. That's a, pretty, that's a pretty ugly weed. And if you're in a church where they have racism as one of the things that, that is in the way, you want to yank that thing out of there. Uh, some churches have a weed called materialism. Everything's based on the buck. And uh, people are very materialistic and superficial in that sense. And if you're in that church, you'd want to rip that weed out. There's weeds called individualism. I'm hitting on some isms here because we're going to get to the one in, in James in a second. Um, there's classism. There's all kinds of things that people do and say, well, you're not like me because you're in a different class than I am and I'm a higher class than you are. And these are weeds. They threaten to destroy the fabric of the church. Uh, they threaten to mess up this beautiful place that we call a safe place, a Christian community. This morning we're going to look at a weed that, that James identifies, and as we've mentioned already, James is the brother of Jesus, so he was a, a very careful listener to his half-brother Jesus, and he was very astute when he was making his evaluation of the early church, and he said there's a, there's a weed that is there that we've got to yank out, we've got to pull it out, we've all got to do our little individual work to yank it out of our own hearts 
and it's the weed we're going to call favoritism. Now, if you can put on the, on the board this passage, I'm going to read through the, uh, this passage together. We're going to read through James chapter 2, the first 13 verses, but I want you to pay particular attention to the way this brother of Jesus identifies a weed in the lawn and goes after the throat of it. And uh, we're going to begin to understand how he removes this weed that would threaten to destroy the church, the early church, and perhaps a weed that threatens every church, maybe even our church or your church. Listen with me as I read James chapter 2. This is James speaking again, and he says, My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. There's the mother of all isms, the weed, favoritism. We're going to talk about that in a second. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes a poor man in in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes and say, you sit here in the good place, and you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down by my footstool, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Question mark. Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and to be heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. It is not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court. Do they blaspheme the name by which you have been called? If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, partiality is an interesting word because favoritism is actually the noun that's being described as the ugly weed, and the showing of partiality is the verb form. It's the same word. If you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whosoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty, for judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, if you've got your Bible with you and maybe a piece of paper, I'm going to walk through this passage, these 12, 13 verses, and we're going to underline some of the reasons why, why James feels that this sin, this sin of favoritism, is a very ugly, ugly weed that needs to be uprooted and lifted right out of everybody's life. And we're going to work this through as we look at the, uh, the verses together. If you get to the next slide, um, verses 1 and verses 9, you have this this identification of the problem. The weed is favoritism. The weed is partiality. Again, one is in the noun form, one's in the verb form. It's the same word. It's the same idea, regardless of whether you're, uh, uh, you know, looking at it from one side or another. What is James talking about here? What is partiality or favoritism? Well, for the most part, what we understand is that favoritism, this particular word, was used in the Old Testament in Psalm 82, verse 2, and again in Leviticus 19, 15, And it was used of a judge who was commanded not to show favoritism or partiality. And the phrase goes like this, as a good judge, you cannot lift your face. 
And the idea is that as a judge is there looking at the evidence, looking at the charges against the, the claimant or the person in court, he is to look down at the charge and without discrimination of the visual, the appearance of the, of the person, whoever they are, he's to make a wise, objective decision on the value and the judgment that is to be levied out. He's not to lift his face and look at the person and identify that this person is rich, poor, young, old, male, female, black, white. It's, it's, it's just a terrible thing for a judge to lift his face because by doing so, he's opening up all the subjectivity and all the opportunity for him to sort of give favor to someone. And especially in the Old Testament, it happened where an unrighteous judge was a person who would lift his face and give special treatment to the rich and lift his face and sometimes not give uh, fair treatment to those who are poor. And so everybody understands that we have favorites. Somebody said, oh, I have favorite chocolate. You know, I like the cherries and the chocolate. Those are my favorite. And I'm like, well, it's okay to have favorite chocolate. But it's not okay to have this thing called favoritism, where we put one person above another person, hear me, based on externals, based on the outside of how a person looks. Now, this really goes back to the beginning, and James is one of these guys who is obviously a Bible thinker. And so, James is saying something so crucial here. He's saying that we've all been created, again, in, in Genesis, early in the open, opening of the Genesis account, we've all been created in God's image. The imago Dei, the fact that we've all been created in God's image, means we all have value and worth. Every person, not just some people, not just special people. Every person. Basically, what James is, is sort of rooting this whole thing in this morning is the simple phrase, people matter. Every person matters. All people matter. Everybody matters to God. And James is identifying something that, that can kind of spread into a Christian community or spread into a church or spread into our attitudes where we begin to discern uh, in an inappropriate way and evaluate in an evil way, he calls it, and make distinctions between people. Now, we all know that there are different kinds of people in the church. There are young people and old people, and people have different personalities. So we understand that there are distinctions all the time when we, when we see people. But the bottom line distinction where we remove a person's value and worth based on something external and we forget about the, what's called the intrinsic, the inside value of who a person is, is a sin. And that's what James is going to talk about as, as he rolls through the second chapter of his book today. What James is saying is, it's not so much the distance between the front good seat in the church and the back seat over there that isn't the best seat. That's not the problem. The problem is the distance between one ear and the next ear. The problem is an attitude problem. The problem is a thinking problem. The problem is a cognitive problem where people actually have mental lies that they're living their life with. And it really messes up everything in the community and everything in the Christian faith. And so James comes to us and he says, we're going to do some strategic, integrated weed management and we need to do this quick, and we need to do this in our church, in our life, 
in our hearts, if there's any little weed of favoritism or you showing someone favor based on something external about them, so as, as we'll hear later, so as to potentially get advantage, that's selfishness that's very shallow, and the Scripture calls it sin. And you can see in a community like ours, in any kind of community, family, any kind of relationship, if you've got people treating each other in certain ways that are, that are based on sinful thinking, it's going to mess up the community like crazy. It's going to mess up the way people value each other or mistrust each other or mistreat each other. It's shallow. It's based on the external. We're reminded in the Old Testament that man looks on the outward appearance. Here we have it again. But God looks on the heart. We hear all the time, don't judge a book by its cover. And we understand that deep within the cover of every story, of every life, is a life that's really not that much different than your own. All the externals are just that. What I'd like to focus on this morning is to be able to look at James and the argument he makes for why we should get back to the basics, why we should come back to the reality that every person matters to God, and why we should pull any weed or any any little fragrant of anything that's sticking in there uh, that is minimizing or devaluing any person for any reason. Now, there's a number of arguments, if you will, or, or developments in the way James uh, moves us through this. James is actually quite a, quite a smart thinker. And one of the things that I, I appreciate about him is he's got a real clear argument here this morning, and he's going to give it to you in five little packages. Here's the first one. Showing favoritism or showing partiality makes no sense Number one reason, because it's inconsistent with who God is. It's inconsistent with who God is, how His grace works, and how the gospel works. If you're catching up with what I'm saying here, God's made us all in His image, and He has called us uh, His people. And so there's value implicit in all of us, regardless of where we come from, who we are, uh, where we're born, what color we are, any of that kind of stuff, how much money we have. There's tremendous value there. One of the things that uh, you will think about as you uh, look through the, the next passage there, if you can give me those next two verses, man. I'm going to take a look at this. Here it is. Look at verses 1 and verse 5. My brethren, do not hold the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. And again in verse 5. Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? In those verses, the, the highlighted features are pretty significant because they're speaking of the faith relationship that we have. And so, if, if you will, retrace your personal faith steps with God through Jesus Christ and ask yourself the reason whether you have any basis for feeling superior or, or more important than anybody else as a result of your faith. If you think about it, James is saying, you know what? We're all brothers. We, we have this common faith. Faith is this connection we have with God through Jesus Christ. It's something that's given to us that Jesus Christ accomplishes. It's not something we do. We're not patting ourselves on the back. We're actually saying, wow, this is about God and His grace. Now, every once in a while, I'll, uh, I'll put a little acrostic on the board, and I'll do that this morning here for you. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. Really clear, huh? 
everything that you have if you are a Christian today, you just retrace your, your steps with your relationship with Jesus Christ. Everything you have is based on His grace. It's not based on your superior status. It's not based on personal favoritism towards you. God doesn't do that. The way He relates to you is out of His grace, out of His love, out of that capacity He has for you. And it's because of the love that He has that you are a loved son or daughter of God today. It's all about God. It's all about what He does. It's really a perspective that James has when he says, hold on a second. You're favoring people. Scratch my head. I don't get any of this. Why would this be happening? If you understand who you are as a Christian, why in the world would you be feeling that you're all that? It's all about grace. One of the most remarkable things uh, that can happen in a person's life is when they actually understand God and they begin to understand His unconditional love and they begin to understand how much people matter to Him. They begin to understand His grace, that His grace is why we are here in the first place. They begin to understand something else too. And if you're a a person who's not yet a Christian, uh, let me give you an idea of what happens when a person becomes a Christian. You have a person over here and they say, you know what, I'm over here and um, I feel disconnected from, let's give the universal triangle for God as the symbol. I feel, I feel far away from God. I feel disconnected from God. I don't feel close to God. And the scripture says, well, that's because of uh, sin in our lives, and that makes us unholy, and we can't approach God. But God is holy, and so you see right here why there's this big expanse between God and us. The gospel, God's message, basically says, you know what? Jesus Christ is going to come, and he's going to die on a cross, And he's going to, if you will, bridge the gap so that you can have a relationship with God. And all this happens not on the basis of us being special or good or amazing or wealthy. In fact, when we're we're talking about us coming into a relationship with God, the Scripture says all of you were poor spiritually, but God who was rich gave you this as a gift. And so if you're a Christian today and you start to think about, you know what, that attitude that I have where I kind of show special consideration to certain people, give preference, or I show favoritism to this person over this person, I wonder how that stacks up or squares with the fact that God has established a relationship with me and none of this favoritism has anything to do with it. That's James' sort of first argument. It's a quick one because he makes a a quick reference and then he dives into a story, which we love. But that is something we need to stop and say to ourselves, okay, the reason why favoritism is such an ugly weed, the reason why it's so inappropriate in the fabric of any church or any Christian heart is because it's completely inconsistent with God, who is the God of grace, who is the God who expresses himself in the gospel. And when you retrace your Christian steps, you'll remember who God is, you'll reflect on his grace, you'll review the gospel, and you'll recall to yourself, wow, I've got no reason to feel superior or in any way to treat somebody less than or more than, especially not from my faith journey. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Most of us, when we come to faith in Christ, we realize how needy we are, and uh, we're so grateful that God loves us, and it's really all about Him. James continues, and if you will, uh, one of the things that James does, which his brother Jesus does as well, is he tells a story. And in the book of James, this is a story which some have suggested is hypothetical. It's not actually a story that happened. But if you think about it, 
James is sort of just uncomfortably close to the truth without exactly declaring the truth. He says, what if something like this happened in your church next Sunday morning? And I thought about this. I was talking to one of my friends this past week. And one of my friends this past week, I was saying, you know, man, you, you used to be rich. And he went, yeah, I was rich. And he said, uh, uh, yeah, I, I know what it's like to be rich. And I said, people must have treated you pretty good. He said, absolutely. You always get the best seats. <laughs> you, you know, the richer a person is, the more free stuff they get. I, I don't understand it, but that's the way it works. That's the way it is in the world, okay? But now we're going to shift gears, and, and James is going to say, well, you know what? This idea of favoritism, it, it's, it's, it's inappropriate with God, but it's also actually inconceivable that in a Christian community, a church, that these attitudes and these lies would be impacting the people of God. And so he tells the story, and if you bring me the next two verses, there we go. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, there's the contrast. Somebody's in fine clothes, and they get the, the good seats. They sit down in front or wherever it is. I'm not sure where the good seats are for others. Uh, it depends on your volume and your ear and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, but uh, somebody's poor. You, you, go, you, you don't stand over there. We don't care about you as much. What's going on there? Favoritism. Somebody's ex- evaluating someone on external. It's sin. It's ungodly. It's not great. What's really amazing is the assembly. It's, it's kind of an interesting phrase for if a man comes to your assembly. That used to be the word they used for the synagogue, the Jewish synagogue. Very interesting if you look at the original language. It's sort of like, why would James say the Christians are in the synagogue? Christians aren't in the synagogue. Christians are in the church. And he might be tongue-in-cheek sort of saying, you know this attitude of some people are inside and some people are outside? We have an exclusive place for, for certain kinds of people. That's actually an old, ugly idea, and it's not a Christian idea. It's not a, an authentic idea of Christian community. In fact, this is one of the things that, that creates a difference in what happens when someone comes to church. A person may come to church and they don't know God, but they sort of watch people. And young and old interact, and rich and poor interact, and color and different ethnic, and they all, they all relate together and they love together. Isn't that attractive? Can you imagine if Bill Maher was sitting in church and this story happened here in our church? Can you imagine? He'd have his next book. <laughs> yeah, this is what happens when you go to church. They say they're loving people, but when you go there, there's special treatment for the few, and then all the rest of us. You call that agape? You call that love? So James is sort of mixing it up here, and he's telling a story, and like I say, in the style of Jesus... He's telling a story because you can get really close to people in terms of what they do and believe and behave when you tell them a story about somebody else. And then there's a little twist and they turn around and they say, well, I see myself in the story. Ugh, I do this all the time. I asked my rich friend, I said, when you were really rich, who took your money away when you went bankrupt? He said, a rich person. I said, well, okay, that's interesting. So, so what happened was you were rich and then a rich person took your money away. That's right. I said, so how would it be if the next Sunday you were on the front door and you saw a person of bank come into church that got out of their $100,000 car and you saw them walk through the front door and the week before you just had all your money removed, millions of dollars, huge, 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 huge money. And the next week you come into church and you see somebody who's rich and you say, oh, I'm going to go escort this guy down to the, to the best seats in the house. James is kind of looking at this at the back end of the story going, you know what? 
not only is favoritism kind of inconsistent with the God of the Bible, and not only is it inconceivable in a loving Christian community, but it's actually pretty illogical that the next week you would be smoozing with the rich man in church. James says that. He, he identifies that in the next verses, if you want to give me those, man. For you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? This is James with a question mark. And James uses a story really well to challenge people to get them tuned into the Scripture. Uh, he's very loving. He calls them brothers. Many times if you look through his argument here, he says, brothers, dearly beloved brothers. He's coming tenderly, but he's coming strongly and really strategically. And he's saying, with these questions that he uses... This doesn't make any sense. Have you thought about what you're doing, Christian? Have you thought about what you're doing in the church if you behave this way? I mean, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. James is sort of moving through here, and he's, and he's got everybody on the same page. Everyone's saying, wow, I guess there is a weed in the backyard, the, the back 40 of our, of our little community church. We've got a problem. We've got to rip this weed out because this problem is a real problem. And as he transitions to, if you will, his fourth reason for why showing favoritism doesn't make any sense. You give me the next slide, man. Here's the, here's the thing that every Christian knows, right? Jesus summarizes the most important commandment. You remember what this is in Matthew 22? They asked Jesus, what's the most important commandment? And here's my short form, okay? LG, this is not an electronics brand name, by the way. Well, it is. But this really means love God. Did you get that part? When Jesus says to the answer to the question, what's important commandment? He says, love God with all your heart. And then what does he say? Love people. Love your neighbor as yourself. LP, that's not a plastic thing we used to play music off of. That's just a little thrown in there for the side there. Um, Jesus says the most important thing to do is to love God and to love people. And so when his brother is sort of moving through this passage, he says, well, we're going to talk about something here. We're going to talk about what we call the royal law. We're going to talk about the, if you will, the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Now, as you look at this, some of you are thinking, well, love God. That's the first four commandments of the Ten Commandments, right? Correct? You know what they are, one, two, three, four. The latter six are what we call the commands related to people and how we love people. And so James is basically going back to the basics again, and he's saying there's so many reasons why this favoritism doesn't make any sense. It's not God. Viscerally, you must respond to it the way everybody else does when, when, when people are distinguished because of what they wear. Ah, that's terrible. It's completely illogical. And uh, what James is going to say now is the fourth reason. It's illegal. Now, now, there's legal things and illegal things in the Christian church. And the legal things to do are to love God and to love people. But the illegal things to do are to break those still significant commandments. And so James basically implies that there's some people in this community who are saying to themselves, well, I'm a good person. I love God. And if you love God, you've got most of it complete. Now, did I say something there that you caught? If you love God, you've got most of it complete. That's actually not what Jesus says. He says, you love God and you love people. You love God and you love others. 
the relationship with God, what we call the, the theological relationship with God, is really important. You've got to get that sorted out. But equally important is the relationship with people. Not just the vertical, but the horizontal. Both sides of this thing are really critical. And so James says, well, some of you are saying to yourself, I, I do pretty good. I hit most of the important Ten Commandments because I go to, you know, the Sabbath and I worship God and I don't have other idols and all this kind of stuff. So they pat themselves on the back and go, I'm pretty good. But all through the Old Testament, all through the history, God always comes around every once in a while and sends out a prophet and says, I've, I, I see how you come to worship, but I see how you treat people. We still have a problem. And this is where the focus is of this last argument that he makes. You can sort of keep a little bit of part of, sort of, of the, the top half of the law, but if you don't keep the bottom half, if you don't love people, John says it in another verse, you can say you love God, but if you hate your brother, you're a liar. This is practical stuff for us to be thinking about this morning. And let's move to the last one, the last reason why favoritism is so, uh, so incredibly just keep going there. Thank you, man. This verse 12 and verse 13 in James' argument are a reference to future judgment. Now, I don't think about future judgment a lot. You probably don't think about future judgment a lot. If you're a Christian today, you say, well, I'm not going to experience judgment or condemnation, am I, in the future when I go to heaven? And I'm like, no, I don't think you will. Jesus Christ clearly forgives you of your sin. Clearly, you will be there based on his beauty and holiness and sacrifice for you. But there is a thing called future judgment where we're going to be sitting before God and God's going to say to us, that weed that was in your life called favoritism, where you snubbed certain people and smoothed, smoothed with others, what was that about? And he's going to call us all to account. That's what we believe the scripture teaches. The last reason uh, that, you know, favoritism is wrong is because it's indictable. And in fact, what's going to happen is God's going to bring us into a, his presence and he's going to say, some of the ways you lived uh, don't make any sense. And we're going to have some shame about that. What James identifies for us, I think, is pretty clear that we've got some fishy attitudes inside our brain sometimes and we've got to sort them out. And if you're here today saying, well, I don't want to go to the last judgment and have to answer for being a person who's, who excluded certain people, who wasn't loving to the poor just because they were poor, then I have good news for you today. You can do something about this today, this morning, right now. You can reach inside your own heart and grab that weed and go, enough, and you can yank it right out. And God can do a miracle in your life, and he'll help you out with this. To get practical, to, to sort of get to the so what, so what of this morning, here's what I want to say. Every once in a while, take a walkabout. Take a walkabout in your backyard or in your garden, the way I did a couple weekends ago, but in your relational green space. Take a walkabout. Just look at the relationships you have and the people you have them with and ask yourself, how am I doing with these relationships? Am I being loving and supportive of people? If people matter to God, am I loving people? Is this good? Take a look at the people that you snub. Take a look at the people that you smooth with. And ask yourself the question, is there something wrong with that? I'm going to call this an audit, a relational audit. You know, you just kind of take a look at the facts. In the spirit of Psalm 139, where you bow your head to God and say, Lord, search my heart, know where I'm at in my relationships with people in my life. Those who I'm close to and why, and those who are far from me and why. 
Ask God for that. Ask God to, to sort of help you see what you need to see, and it'll take you on a wonderful journey, and you'll start to see some weeds that maybe it's time you uprooted and yanked out of the fabric of the soil of your soul. Number two, really practical. Call a weed a weed. Just call it what it is. If, if you realize about yourself like I realize about myself, like maybe that person in the story realized about themselves after they were challenged, sometimes we do things to invest in relationships so we can get something back from other people. Sometimes we're very selfish. And, uh, and James would say, you know what? That's sin. That's not healthy at all. So we call it what it is. Number three, maybe this week you might walk about in your relational world and notice a few things and then go, you know what? There's a person in my life I've been snubbing and I don't understand why, but I do now. And it's sin. And I'm going to apologize. You got anybody in your world who you could mess with their mind this week? And I say this in a very loving way. There are all kinds of people that think because because you're a Christian person that you don't love them or accept them or you would never be close to them because of their, uh, their history or their orientation or their struggle or whatever it is, they think you're just a Christian, you don't love people. Maybe you go to some people and say, you know what, I was in, a, in church on Sunday and the pastor said this thing and it really stirred my soul and I have to apologize to you. I've been wrong. You're a valuable person creating God's image. My mind's a little messed every once in a while. Pardon me, excuse me. I'm sorry. God love you. What would that look like? A bit of a revolution going on in some of our relational worlds. The last thing I want to say is so profound is this message that James is identifying that it really, really gets down to what I'm going to call unconditional acceptance. And when I say unconditional, I mean unconditional. I just, people ask, you know, what do you mean by that? Um, unconditional acceptance. That's the opposite of favoritism. That's the office of, opposite of sizing people up according to their, their bank book or their value or their culture or their religion. Or, it's just accepting everybody. And a Christian will hasten to say, but you don't mean you approve of everything everybody does, do you? And I'm like, did I say that? I don't think I did. I don't think I can approve of everything you do. I don't think you need to approve of everything everybody else does. But job one for the Christian is to accept people like the Lord Jesus Christ did, James's brother, who hung around with sinners and real people and was out there and risked his reputation by just loving people. The last little phrase in James says that mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You can read that so many ways. But I read it this way. Acceptance is a powerful, powerful uh, deal between two people. And if we have relationships of acceptance be between us and other people, regardless of where they're coming from, God's going to use that, especially in the church, especially in the community of saints, especially in the household of faith, especially in this place we call safe, what James has put his finger on is really important. And by God's grace, maybe this week, you'll take a walk about and do a relational audit. Call a weed a weed and acknowledge the sin that is your own. Apologize to somebody for being shallow. And accept everybody moving forward 
and say, Lord Jesus Christ, help me to be like you with skin on in the midst of the world that I'm in, loving people because people matter to God. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to share out of James and the word that he has for us. I thank you for how incisive James is. I thank you for how smart he's been at seeing a problem that affects all of us in all of our lives and all of our relationships. A weed that, that is really threatening, threatens communities, threatens families. That attitude, Lord, that we have between our ears, sometimes it's so far from where you want us to be. So, Lord, we pray that you would help us, uh, help us as we are honest and as we talked about already, Spirit of the living God, you can examine our hearts to see where we're, we've got weeds in our, in our backyard, in our lives, in our relationships. Lord, give us courage, give us insight, help us to see what we can see, help us to do what we can do. We read last week how important it is not just to look into the mirror, but to actually make an adjustment. Lord, help us to make adjustments in our relationships this week, in, the, in our attitudes towards people, people you love, people you died for. And uh, Lord, make us a blessing. Um, thank you, Lord, for the, the challenge that James brings. But thank you also for the clear light that the Lord Jesus uh, brought when he lived the opposite of all this stuff we've been talking about. Walked into people's lives and just loved them unconditionally. Make us that kind of church. Make us that kind of people, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being with us today. If you want to know more about our church or give financially, go to our website at www.crotherscreek.ca.